looking today at Ecclesiastes 7, uh, verses 19 to 24. So while you're getting there, I'm going to start with a question today. And this is one that I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you can answer an affirmative to it or yes. Uh, How many here have ever taken any kind of music lesson, even just one? So I don't care, bassoon, tuba, piano, voice. Well, let me see this nice and high. Don't be ashamed. This is ashamed. This is not ashamed. Some of you put your hands down. Don't put your hands down. All right. How many of you can still play that instrument? I mean, play it, play it pretty well. well I'm the same way. <laughs> I played baritone in high school, like a mini tuba, and I still have the thing. Um, it's up in the attic in my garage, and when I get that down, I, I like to play a little bit. Um, but after a couple bars of music, my lips really hurt because you got to buzz into it. And I'll play it a little bit longer. It really hurts. You get this circle around it. It looks really silly. And so I put it back. I'll leave it there for a couple more years. Uh, my dad played accordion. Who plays accordion today? Um, June Hamilton, who went to be with the Lord, uh, she grew up in Iowa was the only child, godly family, and the Lord called her to serve in missions in Scotland. Um, Her mom taught her how to play the piano, but her mom also said, you might be in a place where they don't have a piano, so you should learn to play the accordion. Who did ever thunk of, you know, an accordion being used in that kind of circumstance? And while she was there, she met Pastor Stephen Hamilton. Uh, I really wanted to learn the particulars about that one, but... um, that didn't get to, uh, I plan on following up at some point. Here in this section, uh, Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 15 that we looked at last week, Solomon is teaching us how to live in light of how God treats the righteous and the wicked. So beginning in verse 15 to the end of the chapter, Solomon, Solomon is teaching us how we need to live in light of how God treats the righteous and the wicked. He said in verse 15, I've seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And then there's a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. We saw from last week, verses 16 to 18, that living a righteous life doesn't guarantee the good life. Living a righteous life doesn't guarantee the good life. You could presumptuously think, that's the idea of overly righteous here, you could presumptuously think, I'm going to live a righteous life so that I can live a long life, so that I can have the good life. But that's not the case. It doesn't guarantee that. It's easy to think that. Because I'm a Christian, I'm going to live a long, healthy life prosperous life. What did Solomon say about that? Verse 15. Nope. That's not the case at all. And so he corrected that thinking in verses 15 to 18. He corrected that thinking. Living a godly life doesn't guarantee a good life. You might have a hard life, a difficult life. Here 
in verses 19 to 24, he gives a second remedy for thinking that, you know, how you live will guarantee the good life. Here he addresses the idea that some could have, boy, if I grow in wisdom, that that will guarantee the good life. Verses 16 to 18 was, if I live a righteous life, that'll guarantee a good life. He showed that's not right. Here he's going to show you could think that if you're really wise that that guarantees a good life. And he's going to say, nope, that isn't the case. That is not the case. Verse 19 follows, I read. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than 10 rulers of the city. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Also, or so, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. All this I, all this I approved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? Here Solomon says that wisdom is very helpful. It's needed, verse 19. But because of your sin, verses 20 to 22, and because of how finite you are, verses 23 to 24, wisdom is good, but because of your sin and because you're finite and you're limited, you will never be so perfect and so complete in your wisdom that you're guaranteed the good life. That's what he's saying here. He's correcting a wrong idea. He says, first of all, in verse 19, wisdom is a good thing to have. Wisdom is a good thing to have. We need to begin, what is wisdom? Hopefully by this point, you've got the basic definition down pretty well. It's the correct application of God's word to everyday life. But it's not just the correct application of it, it's the skillful Both of those are important. The correct and skillful application of God's truth to everyday life. Remember the question that I started off today? Did you ever take music lessons of any kind? I started off, like probably many of you did, with piano. Mom sent me, I can still remember, this cute little old lady's uh, home, downtown Alto, Michigan. Downtown's a joke. When it comes to Alto, we have a stop sign at the center of Alto, not a stop light. Mrs. I think her name is Mrs. Demings. I remember going there, uh, learning to play the piano, having to do all those uh, less lessons and practicing. Um, what's the difference between somebody who can play the piano and somebody who can play the piano? Well, anybody can come up here, push the keys and make sound. It takes skill, what's the W word? Wisdom, to push the keys at the right time and in the right combination to make music. Do you see the difference between making sound and making music? Most of us probably on this thing are gonna make a lot of what? Sound. We're not gonna make much music. What's the difference? It's the correct and skillful application of learning to play the piano and making music. Wisdom is taking God's truth 
and wisely, skillfully putting it into practice. You need wisdom. Write down Proverbs 1 to 9. That's not chapter 1, verse 9. That's chapters 1 through 9. In Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, Solomon emphasizes the necessity of wisdom. When you get God's wisdom, it helps you escape the many traps of sin. And there's lots of traps of sin. Come with us, evil men will say. And let's go do some evil. Come with us, says the immoral person. No one will see or know. Come with us and do this. There's so many traps of of sin. But when you know God's word and you rightly apply it, you'll be able to escape those things. You'll be able to live righteously. You'll be able to please and honor the Lord in your everyday life. That's what the rest of Proverbs talks about, chapters 10 to 31. In everyday Daily grind of life. When you got God's wisdom, it helps you live it. Where does true wisdom come from? Well, it comes from God. The passage here to write down, we might look at it later on, is Job 28. I'll talk more about it there, but for now, just write down Job 28. That's where wisdom comes from. I'd like you to maybe put your Bible bookmark here in Ecclesiastes 7. I'd like us to go back to the passage we read just a little bit ago, Psalm 111. Psalm 111. A couple other things about uh, what wisdom is that's important. Verse 10. I'd encourage you, memorize Psalm 111, verse 10. This is a great verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what's meant by that? It is the foundation of wisdom. It is the fount of wisdom. It's what wisdom is built on. It's what wisdom continues to come out of. The fear of the Lord. But look at this. A good understanding have those who do his commandments. This tells us two things, this verse. First, wisdom is the result of being born again of the fear of the Lord. You must be born again to have God's wisdom. If you're not born again, if you're here this morning and you are not born again, you are without God's wisdom. You might be able to make some sound, but you will not make music. The fear of the Lord is that exclusive love for Christ, trust in him, obeying him and him alone. But there's something else he tells us here. He says, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. The more you obey the Lord, the more wisdom you will gain. The more skillful you will be at living a righteous life. The more you practice the piano, what will happen? The better you will get at it. And I hated practicing the piano. I get home from school, went to public school, K to 12. Those elementary years, mom would, I'd get home from school and one of the first things mom would say would be what? Gotta go practice. Oh, I don't wanna practice. I wanna go play outside. I wanna go run in the woods. I wanna play guns with my brother. I wanna beat up my brother. No, I didn't do that. I wanted to goof off. I wanted to play. That's not fun. That's work. 
And being the sinful little boy I was, I didn't want to do that. Our sin nature doesn't want to do righteousness, does it? Our sin nature doesn't want to obey God. But the more you bring your life in line with what God says, the better understanding you will have. Better wisdom. A key uh, parallel New Testament passage I'll mention later on as well would be Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. When you grow less like the world and more like Christ, you have you gain the ability to discern what's right and wrong. Number two, what does wisdom do? Back to Ecclesiastes chapter seven. What does wisdom do? Tells us here at the beginning of verse 19. Wisdom, here it is, strengthens the wise. Strengthens the wise, makes you stronger. It fortifies, it energizes, reinforces, refresh, sharpen. You're able to do more than you could otherwise. Later on in Ecclesiastes, Solomon will say in illustrating the necessity of growing in your wisdom, he says, if you're chopping wood with an axe and your axe is dull, what do you need to do? Sharpen the blade. You're going to be able to cut more and do more. Let's go back to the piano. The pianist who trains at the Juilliard Institute of Music, which is one of the top conservatories of music. The pianist who trains at Juilliard will be strengthened in his ability able to understand all the inter, inter, the details of the music there. The details of the piano, how to play the music itself. Wisdom strengthens the wise. The more you learn how to apply God's word, the stronger Christian you will be. But I want to make sure that you note something here. Look at this verse again. It says, wisdom strengthens the wise, it does not strengthen the foolish, the unbeliever. The unbeliever hears God's wisdom and it bounces off like water off a duck's back. What is number three, wisdom's value? Again, the second part of verse 19. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than 10 rulers of the city. Here, Solomon is exaggerating to make a point. We do this. I told you a thousand times. Did I really tell you a thousand times? No, but I'm exaggerating to emphasize. I told you this a lot. Why do you keep the light on? Why? When you're getting something out of the refrigerator, do you leave the refrigerator door open? Who pays the electric bill here? Can you tell that this is something I've emphasized? We have yet to buy for our church building that elusive ice cream maker. Somebody texted me one that they saw for sale. <laughs> we finally get our ice cream maker. I don't know where it's going to go. We'll have to ask the deacons about that one. One of the young people says, I want a big ice cream cone. 
Well, how big of an ice cream cone do you want? Mr. Ringdahl says as he's making that. And you say, I want a mile high ice cream cone. <laughs> We're going to be here a while. It's going to collapse. Are we really being serious? No. We're exaggerating to make a point. I want a big ice cream cone. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than 10 rulers of the city. Many people think that what makes you important or what makes you effective, that that's more, that's better than, than wisdom. 10 strong men. But if those strong men don't know how to work together, they need a wise man to direct them. You might have 10 wealthy men, 10 wealthy men, but they could fail to use their resources together effectively. They're all wasting their money. Sounds like the government, doesn't it? You could have 10 pianists, but they've only gotten through the first couple books of Thompson's piano books. Now, anybody here, did you, who took piano lessons? Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about with, by the Thompson piano books? That's what I use, that red thing, okay? They're still being used today. The 10 pianists, they've only made it through those Thompson piano books, but they are no match for a Juilliard-trained pianist, are they? That's Solomon's point here. Wisdom has great value. Proverbs 24.5 says, A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. But despite wisdom's benefits, and there are benefits to it, he says here. Despite wisdom's benefits, Solomon is then going to tell us about two problems that we have that keep us, that prevent us from having the kind of wisdom we need that affect our ability to profit from God's wisdom. The first, number two, is total depravity, verses 21 to 22. Total depravity. Here Solomon is emphasizing that because everyone's totally depraved, no one has ultimate wisdom. Begins with a simple word here, for. More helpfully, I think this would be translated, you could pencil this in your Bible, surely. Or indeed, surely there is not a just man on earth. Or indeed there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. We have here in verse 28, the principle of total depravity stated. Number one, the principle of total depravity stated. Everyone is a sinful sinner. Everyone is a sinful sinner. Even the most righteous person sins. The wisest person in this context, even the wisest person sins. Other than Jesus Christ, in human history, who's the wisest person that ever walked this earth? Solomon, wasn't it? Did he ever sin? Oh boy, did he sin. None are consistently good. I'm going to give you a bunch of passages here. Five. First, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 46. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 46. Solomon says, there is no one who does not sin. Psalm 143, verse 2. Psalm 143, verse 2. The psalmist says, in your sight, no one living is righteous. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Proverbs 20, verse 9. 
Solomon rhetorically asks, who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? What's the answer to that question? No one can say, I've made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin. Coming to the New Testament, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans 3, 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then, of course, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Total depravity means that sin has entirely corrupted us and entirely enslaves the unbeliever's mind and heart and affections and will and emotions. We are sinful. That's our character. And we sin. We sin in doing things we shouldn't. We sin when we don't do things we should. We sin in our thoughts. We have a sinful heart or disposition. We have sinful feelings, sinful responses. And then, to help us see this, number two, he illustrates what total depravity looks like. He illustrates this in verses 21 to 22 by showing how everyone gossips. That's your blank here. How everyone gossips. We sin by the things we do, the things that we don't do that we should. We sin in our thinking, in our heart and disposition, and we can sin in our communication. Also, verse 21 has the idea of, here's an illustration. What I mean by everyone is righteous, even wise people can sin. He illustrates how everyone is a sinful sinner by going to something that everyone does. We all talk. Remember James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12? The tongue is an unruly evil. Who can tame it? With it, we praise God, and then the next breath, we curse men. And what do we read here? Verse 21. Do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has, has known that even you have cursed others. Solomon says two things here, illustrating how everyone is a sinful sinner. And it's seen in our speech. The first thing, verse 21, you will hear about others who curse you. You'll hear others who talk about you in a bad way. Curse involves the idea of gossip. So what's gossip? A couple things about gossip to help us understand what is involved with gossip. First, you're relaying information about someone. You're relaying information about someone. And you have a, at least a two-fold intent or aim in relaying information about someone. Your first aim is that you want to make them look bad. You want to harm their reputation. You're talking to someone about someone else and you're going to relay some information about that person and your first aim is, I want to make them look bad. Show how foolish they are. And I want to harm their reputation. But it doesn't stop there. You have a second aim 
and sharing this information, you are going to make yourself look good. That's what gossip is. And that's what gossip does. It takes that information. It might be true, but you're sharing it with another person because your aim is to make that person look stupid, idiotic, foolish, and you make yourself look really good. That's what gossip does. In Solomon's time, he had this setup of masters and servants, and the masters would hear complaints that servants would have. Like what? I don't know. He doesn't tell us, so let's make a couple up. Our master sure is a wacky old fellow. What a fool. What a buffoon. Now that makes me sound old, doesn't it, to use the word buffoon. Our master's crazy. He's a nut. He might be. What's the servant's aim? To make him look bad in the sight of others and to make the servant look like, I'm really better than my master. Maybe a servant would hear his master playing his piano with his red Thompson book and the servant kind of, he wasn't a nail. That's pretty funny. He's only in Thompson book four. I'm better than he is. He's terrible. Does this happen today? Aren't you glad that that only happened back in Solomon's time? Where servants speak badly of their masters? This still happens today, doesn't it? But it doesn't stop there. He gives a second illustration. Not only will you hear people gossiping and talking about you, but guess what? Verse 22, you do the same thing. You gossip about others. We can get so busy working on finding the sliver in somebody else's mind that, and somebody else's life that, what do we miss? We miss the telephone pole in our own eye. That's what Matthew 7 verses 3 to 5 talks about there. You've got this beam, this telephone pole in your own eye, and you're worried about the sliver in somebody else's? Yeah, they're gossiping about you, but... You do the same thing. He's illustrating our sinfulness, our depravity, how corrupt we are. There are plenty of times. This applies to everyone here. We have all done it. I'm not singling anyone out. I don't have anyone in mind here. It's just what Solomon says here. There are plenty of times when you, a wise, godly, righteous Christian, When you will talk about someone else with the intent of making them look bad and yourself look good. And that is cursing them. And these things, what did James say? Ought not to be. That's what sin looks like in our lives. What's the result of that kind of a sin? On wisdom. This isn't from the text. This is just from other passages of scripture, but we're striving for wisdom, thinking that if I live a wise life, I will be guaranteed a good life. But what about sin? Sin keeps us from having that wisdom. Remember Psalm 111, verse 10? You obey the Lord, the more righteous you'll be, the better understanding you'll have. More obedience gives wisdom. It's the result of being born again. You correctly and skillfully apply God's word to everyday life. So when you use this God-given ability to communicate, that's what it is. Communication is a God-given, it's part of being made in the image of God. 
You use this God-given ability to communicate and you use it to trash someone else. But you know what God's truth says. What does that do? You're disobeying God's command. You're falling short of his character. You're living by your sin nature, not the new nature that you were given when you were born again. You're more interested in living your, lifting yourself up at someone else's expense instead of fearing the Lord. And that is the incorrect application of God's truth to everyday life. The end result, you will come short of having God's full wisdom. You will be weaker than what you could be. Instead, remember, wisdom strengthens the wise. But when you knowingly, when we, when we knowingly go ahead and sin, that doesn't make us stronger, that makes us weaker. Remember Romans 12 too? Not conforming yourselves to the world, transformed by the image of Christ so that you may discern and prove what's good and acceptable. When you knowingly keep going and sin, you're, gonna, you're not going to make right choices. You're going to make wrong choices and decisions. And you go down a path of sin, it always brings hardship. It never brings God's blessing. It always causes difficulty. And Solomon's point of walking through this is that sin keeps you from being as wise as you need to be. You will never have the needed wisdom to guarantee a problem-free life in this sin-cursed world. I asked at the beginning, anybody here take piano lessons or practice or learn music? And I ask you, some, most everybody raise their hand. If I were to ask, raise your hand to this, I'm not going to because I know the answer. Is there anybody here who's a sinner? There's going to be 100% agreement with that. There better be, right? And because of that, you cannot think, you cannot think that you will, by your wisdom, be guaranteed the good life. There's a second problem that Solomon says keeps you from having perfect wisdom, and that's verses 23 to 24. Everyone is finite. That is, we're limited we're finite. Now, if you're using a New King James or a New American Standard, uh, maybe an English Standard Version, um, and it puts it in paragraph form, you will notice that verses 23 and 24 are part of a next paragraph. These verses are kind of a hinge, okay, between verses 19 to 22 and verses 25 to 29. And I might encourage you this week, read verses 25 to 29. It's a definite head-scratcher. I mean, there's a lot of head-scratching going on. What is he talking about in this passage here? You're going to be tempted to read on. But let me just encourage you, don't right now. Focus on the message. And what he talks about is, you know, I've seen one man among a thousand who's wise, but I never found a godly woman. Whoa, them's fighting words, isn't it? Okay, so what you're talking about there, you got to come back next Sunday morning to find out what he's talking about. My point here, 23 to 24 are a hinge 
It's connected to what he had just been talking about with wisdom. And he's going to apply it to this next section, that next section in 25 to 29. 23. All this I have proven by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find out? He says, and showing how everyone is finite, number one, no matter how hard you work to be all wise, it is an impossible goal. It is an impossible goal. It's far from me. You'll never have total wisdom guaranteeing the good life. Every attempt to get 100%, it will fail. Remember that little thermometer I sometimes put in the bulletin to show giving? You got your thermometer of total wisdom to guarantee the good life. And you're never going to reach 100% in this life. Because not only are you sinful, but you're limited. You're finite. How much knowledge is there? Note. I did not say, how much knowledge is there in the world? How much knowledge is there? There is an infinite amount of knowledge. Because what is one of God's essential attributes? He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. You're, gonna never, you're never going to know everything because only God, who's infinite, knows everything. And only God is all wise. You will never have God's total knowledge. We will never have God's total wisdom. And no matter how hard you work, you'll never reach that destination. Why? Sin taints wisdom and our finiteness limits us. The perfect pianist has and never will exist. There's always room for improvement. He tells us in verse 24, as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it? He says, number two here, you'll never fully grasp wisdom. It will always be beyond reach. He's striving for it. I want to get it. And always striving for that. It's impossible. You need infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge, but you're finite. You're always stretching. I mentioned earlier of Job 28. Where do we find God's wisdom? God tells us, or Job tells us, they're from God. I'm, gonna t- I'm not going to have us turn there. But in Job 28, Job says, he talks about how men dig in the earth. They're trying to find gold and silver and all these precious metals. They work hard and they find it. Where can man find wisdom? Where can man find wisdom? Job says it is more difficult to get than the precious metals out of the ground. You'll never find it in this world. Only in the Lord. And because he's infinite and you're finite, you'll never get it all. Solomon's cry here at the end of verse 24, who can find it out? He's not saying that in this sense. Since we'll never find it, let's give up. That's how I was at piano. <laughs> we started out all these flats and these sharps, trying to figure out these time signatures. I give up. I quit. I'm done. That's not what he's saying here. Just throw your hands up in exhaustion and give up response. He's asking a rhetorical question here. 
None, none will find total wisdom. None will find this total wisdom because none of us are God. His point here is this. You will never have enough wisdom to be guaranteed a problem-free life in this sin-cursed world. You will never have enough wisdom because you're finite to guarantee a problem-free life in this sin-cursed world. Do you need wisdom, Christian? Absolutely. Made that clear right at the beginning. Verse 19. But we're sinful. We're finite. And so we will never gain all the wisdom that we need to guarantee a problem-free life in this sin-cursed world. You need God's wisdom. The more wisdom you get, the better you're going to see the problems. But it's no guarantee that you won't get sick. It's no guarantee that there might be government issues and God's providence that cause problems for you. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? Thankfully, there is good news. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Born of Adam. But there is a wiser than Solomon here. And who is it? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, he is the one that you must rely on and look to, not your own wisdom. Look to Christ and rely on Christ alone. How should you respond to sin? Because we all have it. 1 John 1, 9. Confess it. Repent of it. Forsake it. Remember the illustration he used here in verses 21 and 22? Slander, cursing, gossip. Well, this would be a good time to ask the Lord, search me, O God, try me. Is there any gossip, Lord, that I need to repent of? You need to continually walk in the Spirit. This is Galatians 5. Obeying the Lord, depending on God's help, and as you do that, he helps you gain. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And boy, we need self-control of this tongue, don't we? You need to walk in the Spirit. Recognize your sin. Recognize your limits. This is being humble. You must be humble before the Lord. And ultimately, trust the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding or your own wisdom as if you have life all figured out and so you can guarantee everything. Is knowledge essential? Yes. Is wisdom essential? Yes. But they cannot replace trust in the Lord. Knowledge and wisdom are essential, but they cannot replace trust in the Lord. In fact, true knowledge and true wisdom, they grow from trust in the Lord, never apart from it. That is something I hope you take away from this passage here. Knowledge and wisdom are essential, but they are never separate from trust in the Lord. They always grow 
from that trust in the Lord and depending on him. Remember what we read last week in Jeremiah 9, verse 23? Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. I began by talking about music lessons and piano. So here's my encouragement to you this morning. Keep taking piano lessons. Keep practicing the piano. Keep learning the piano. Am I being serious? Not literally. What's the point? Keep learning the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep obeying, practicing the Lord what the Lord Jesus commands. Keep trusting what Jesus says here. Let's pray.